Uh, the last couple weeks we've been talking about the first century church, how we as a congregation, as we as individuals, need to become like the first century church. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, we looked at becoming a first century church. Last week, we were looking at the measure of the first uh, century church, the New Testament church, and we found that that was in their likeness to Christ, the way they were like Christ. This morning, I want to cover a third topic, and it's one, <clears throat> I was telling Sue this morning, it's one that as I began preparing this lesson, I had it all planned out, and then yesterday as I sat down to review it, the Lord took me a totally different way. Um, and as I got further into it, this is, this is all new stuff to me as well, and it, I thought it was pretty, pretty um, when I teach, when I get the ability to preach, I just want you to know that usually, typically, I feel like the Lord is taking a dartboard and throwing darts right at me, too. I mean, this is not something I'm saying I have accomplished, and this is something you need. That's not, I, this week, it wasn't darts, it was spears. <laughs> uh, so as uh, you listen into this lesson, which is directed completely to me, um, I, I just want you to understand that I'm not coming from a place better than you. In fact, probably the opposite. Uh, this is an area I really struggle in, um, and it's the power, where they got it, um, how they used it, the power that that first century church had that we have the ability to have today, the power of the first century church. One, there's one verse in the New Testament that really unlocks the secret to that first century church. And if you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, verse 8 this morning, we're going to actually work our way through Acts, through about the first 10 chapters this morning. We're going to look at illustrations of how, or what this power was, and how it was used. <clears throat> Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and onto the uttermost part of the earth. I want to get going with this, and I want to dive into this, but we'll come back to this verse a little later on and see exactly what the church's implications are in this verse, and where they were coming from, and why this was such a huge concept for them. Understand that the church was made up then of basically the 12 apostles. Okay, the Jewish guys, and he's telling them, you're to be witnesses on me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And they could not do that by themselves. They needed the power of God to do that. This, this, is, this is basically the key verse in the entire book of Acts. Where did they get this power to endure hardship? Where did they get the power to to endure and suffer persecution, even unto death. Where did they get the power to go into all the world? Acts chapter 4, verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They simply did not witness the resurrection. They did it with great power, the Bible says. We also see the word power used in Matthew chapter 
uh, 28. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, because you've got the power, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Uh, notice the word power in verse 18. This is not the same explosive power that, that Paul mentions in Romans 1.16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The power here in Matthew 28 has to do with authority or the right to do something. And then he goes on in verse 19 and says, As a result, go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Back in Luke chapter 24, says this, verse 46, And said unto them, this is Christ, Thus it is written that thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Sound familiar to Acts 1.8? That's where it's going to start. And ye are witnesses of these things. We are witnesses. Jesus told his disciples, ye are witnesses. One thing that jumped out to me here, in the manner of witnessing, look at the phrase, the noun comes before the verb. We are witnesses. Because of what Christ did for us, we're able to witness to others. We must be a witness before we can witness. We, we, can, we must be a witness before we're able to witness. Luke 24, verse 49, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. God told them to do not do anything. Don't try to do his work until they had that power, until they had his power. I think there's a vast disconnect between God's work and God's people. People assume that when we speak of church, we're talking about the building. We're, we're talking about the, the place where people meet. And they confine all their conversations and thoughts to that meeting. But we need God's power, not just in the assembly on Sunday mornings, not just in the group that gets together Sunday night, not just on Wednesday night when we pray. We need God's power to function throughout the entire week. That's when we need God's power. A businessman should realize the need of God's power through the entire week. Just as much as a missionary overseas needs the power of God every day of every week. A retiree needs to understand that the reason they need God's power is the same reason that our pastor needs God's power every single day so that we can do God's work. Not just the power on Sunday or Wednesday night, it's the power on a daily living basis. And we're not here simply to seek to have power uh, and powerful meetings. That's not what we're here for. Many, many churches do not operate God's way. 
They've attempted to substitute programs or organization for God's power. They're looking for a formula. They're looking for a plan. They're looking for a strategy that they can, that they can implement so they can grow and show God's power. The first century church was not how about how they performed. It was not about what kind of strategy we can implement. The power of that first century church rested entirely on their dependence and allegiance to Jesus Christ in the person of his Holy Spirit. They were people of prayer. They were people of total dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. We face so many temptations today in the Lord's work. All of those translate into doing God's work in some other way other than what God had designed for the church to do God's power with God's power. So I want to look at a couple things that God's power is not first. So we understand what is not God's power. First of all, God's power is not a physical power. It's not brute strength. I've met some people who think they can intimidate and muscle their way through life without needing Christ. A couple years ago, um, I had a brand new fifth grade student that came into my class um, in the middle of a school year. Um, The thing about this fifth grader was he looked like he was 14 and not 10. He was big. He was tall. He was strong. And I remember that very first recess, uh, we were outside at recess, and um, we were playing the games, and the kids were getting along really well as they normally do. And suddenly I looked up on the hill, And this big new kid took his forearm and swung it across one of the boy's chests and dropped him right to the ground. And then he straddled the kid and he was yelling out with his arms raised up, This is my playground now! This is mine! Yeah, no it wasn't. (laughs) He was using his brute strength because he was bigger. He was stronger. That's not the kind of power we need in church. That's not the kind of power God gives us. This is not a physical power. It's not a financial power. Some people think that if you throw enough money at something, it's going to grow. Some people think the answer is to give it, feed it more money. In the church... Oh, the more we raise, the more we can give to missions, the more we will get done for God. If we just dump more money, we need more money, more money. That's not the power. In our homes, yes, we try to provide everything. We try to make sure we have a roof over our heads, one that stays down in the next hurricane. We try to put food on the table. We try to have a good car to drive. We, we try to take some time out once in a while and do some entertaining things. But if you think that power can be satisfied through financial means, you've failed to understand what the first century church was all about. You remember the story in Acts chapter 5? If you don't, it's right there in front of you. Ananias and Sapphira, they started bringing all their stuff in and they had a lot. We're going to dump money at this. And then they held some back. And the Holy Spirit took care of them because they lied. It's not a financial power. It's not a mental power. I I know Christians that think the answer to everything is knowledge. Knowledge. 
education, the bit more to get what degree do you have? Well, I have the, I went to this school and I went to that school. I, I one of the things I've experienced in my 30 plus years of teaching is the lack of common sense. You I'm sure you've never seen this before. Lack of common sense. And now we have now we have this with information at our fingertips. I've had to change my teaching. I don't I no longer I no longer teach to impart knowledge. I'm teaching them how to find the knowledge cuz it's there at their fingertips. Everything they need to know how to do, every problem they face in life, all you got to do is google it. It's there. We're implemented with with knowledge and the information highway. Everything you need is right there at your fingertips. I think there's a danger of that as Christians. Cuz well, I don't know. Let's let's look that verse up. Instead of the knowledge, this this is not mental power. My question is this: Are we are we moving? Are we working? Are we living? Are we breathing in the power of God's Holy Spirit? Are we functioning in the power of God's Holy Spirit on a daily basis? as individuals. What does it mean? Well, we learn from God's scripture that we are all dead people. We are dead. Ephesians 2, 1. And you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. We were dead. When we were born into God's family, when we got saved, when we asked Jesus Christ into our hearts, he quickened us. He made us alive. He brought us up from being dead spiritually so that everything we do outside of Jesus Christ, everything we try to accomplish without Jesus Christ's power is dead works. Think of it this way. The only thing that pleases God the Father is his perfect son, Jesus Christ. Then think of how many things we've tried to accomplish with our own energy our own mental capabilities, our own finances, our own physical ability that have not been done in the same, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that have been done in our own power for the glory of God? No, not for them, for me. And then we wonder why so many impotent churches are out there and such empty Christian lives are being lived. We need to stop thinking of the Holy spirit as some mystical being in some magical way because that's not what the holy spirit is we're talking about the person of god that's the holy spirit we we are, we are simply stating today that the power of god is 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 done when we completely give our lives over to him we're to obey him we're to trust him we're to abide him in him and if i live the christian life I need to get that power of the Holy Spirit. There's no better place to get it than the church. Here at the church. There, it's, it's, there's no better place to get that power of the Holy Spirit than get that here at the church. I, I can't forsake the assembling of, of myself together with other Christians. Hebrews 10.25 makes that clear. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, and we know that's true today, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. I, I knew a family that pulled out of the church 
to hold home church. Home church. Well, that's not assembling together with others. That's just the family there. That was all they wanted. The Bible says, uh-uh. I know we're Baptist. But why are we afraid to talk about the Holy Ghost? Why are we afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit? It's, it's like the same fear we have when we see a picture of a rainbow. <gasps> oh, a rainbow. No, that's ours. We had it first. God gave us that. The same with the Holy Ghost. He's ours. God gave him to us. Christ taught his disciples about the Holy Ghost. Christ, Christ taught his disciples directly about the Holy Spirit. Here's a couple things he taught them. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. He'll abide with you, he told them. The Holy Spirit will come. He will comfort you. They were like, what do I got to be comforted about? I'm living life good. We're doing it. You're extra bread, extra fish. We don't have to worry about taxes. All these things, and they didn't know what was coming, that Christ would be crucified and die. And they were going to be left lonely. And then he, after he rose from the dead, then he was going to go to heaven. And Christ said, I'm going to send you a comforter. And he's going to abide with you. I like the last part of this. How long? Forever. Do you realize that's the first time the Holy Spirit came in to indwell permanently? You remember the story of Samson? Come and go, come and go, come and go. David, come and go, come and go. Saul, come and go, come and go. He says to his disciples, the comforter is going to come and he's going to indwell you permanently, forever. He will abide. Then Christ told them in John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. He will not just abide, he's going to teach you and remind you of what you've been taught. I, uh, as a young kid, I was in Awana, um, and I've told you that many times. That's where I did, the majority of my memorization was through Awana in Christian school. And I now have a hard time memorizing anything. Even the names of my students in my classroom. When they come in, I've been there, this is week eight coming up already of school. And the kids will come in and I'll go, hi, George, uh, Mr. Chilson, my name is Madison. Oh, sorry, Madison. Next kid comes in, oh, hi, George. <laughs> okay, I don't even have a George, but they know when I call him George, it's because I can't remember things. I have a hard time remembering things. But you know what the Holy Spirit does? When I get in a situation, I'll have a verse pop in my mind that I have memorized in the past. He reminds me of those things. He not just teaches me, he reminds me of the things that, that, that I've been taught. When I get in a situation, and, and, and I'm in a situation, I'm like, oh, what to do? Something that the Holy Spirit taught me through pastor's message comes back, and it hits me. and says, huh, you think, you think that message was for them? Nope, that was for you. It's what the Holy Ghost does. He teaches us and he reminds us. The third thing Jesus says, this is a tough one. John 16, 8, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He's going to reprove. That means correct, 
show you where you're wrong, tell you, no, you can't do that. Parents have a hard time doing that nowadays, telling your kids, no, the Holy Spirit does it to me all the time. I know you probably don't know this, but I've got a kitten at home. Yeah, I do. And uh, my wife tells me that I've spoiled the kitten. Um, my cat now begs when I eat. Uh, you probably don't. She loves hot dogs. Hot dogs are her favorite thing. But I'll be eating on my plate leftover hot dogs, of course, not the ones I'm going to eat. Because I put it in my plate and I set it down on the, on the coffee table because we never eat at our table. It's too slippery. So I set it on the coffee table and, and the cat will jump up on the coffee table, which she can do. And she looks at my hot dogs on my plate. And then she comes up a little closer and a little closer and she puts her nose down and I say, no. And she'll lean her head back and she'll squint her eyes. And then she'll stand up a little straighter and she'll lean in a little bit more. And I'll say, no. She squints her eyes and she'll lean her head back. The Holy Spirit does that to us. When we do something wrong, he reproves. No. No. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes I got to slap her nose. That's, that's what the whole, Jesus said, that's what the Holy Ghost is going to do to you. And if you're his child, he does that. He reproves you. No, 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 no. That's not what you should be doing. He will guide. Verse 13 of John 16. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. My, my favorite verses in the Bible, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You can say it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. Here it comes. And he will direct your paths. You don't know what to do. If you start living that life, which is in the power of the Holy Ghost, he'll guide you. He'll, he'll show you the right way. He'll open a door and you'll go to go through it. And he'll reprove and close that door. And sometimes it hurts because it slams on your fingers. But you know you're not supposed to go through that door. And then he'll open another door and you'll walk through it and you'll go, Oh, why didn't I see this the whole time? He guides. The Holy Spirit directs. What about our dependence on the Holy Ghost? What, what's, what's our role? What did Christ tell his disciples that the Holy Spirit would give them power to do? What God's power is. First of all, impossible tasks. We're going to start in Acts chapter 1. We're going to hop through this really quickly through the first 10 chapters and see some example. I'm not going to read all 10 chapters because I don't have time. But I want to look at some specific examples of what God's power is, what the Holy Ghost power is, what the first century church used God's power for. And the first one is impossible tasks. And I find that right there in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The holy the first century church realized what Christ was talking about, what they were supposed to do, go to Jerusalem, not a problem. All Judea, a little bit bigger area. Samaria, you mean those half breeds? The ones that are located outside of us and then the uttermost part of the earth. 
everywhere, even Rome and Italy and, and all those, all the heathens were supposed to go there. There's just 12 of us and we're all Jewish. They realized it was impossible. The only thing they could do is rely on the power of the Holy Ghost. First thing he said was, I'll give you, I'll, 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 I, I will provide you the power to do impossible tasks. This was impossible. Secondly, God's power is understanding. That second thing that the uh, God promised that the Holy Spirit would provide to the first century church was an understanding in Acts chapter 2, the second chapter of Acts. Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 5, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, all of them, and were confounded. What's going on? Because that every man heard them speak in his own language. God gave them understanding. The Holy Spirit so filled the apostles, gave them so much power, they were able to speak in languages that the people from other countries, the uttermost part of the earth, would be able to understand. They could hear it. The foreign representatives that were there, the Jewish people that were from foreign lands that didn't even speak the same language, understood the gospel of Christ, understood the message as part of the power from these men. And it wasn't from the men. It was the Holy Spirit that gave them the power. There was understanding. Number three, preaching. The power of preaching. The Holy Spirit gave the church the power of preaching. That's the third thing in the first century church. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judah, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Listen, I'm going to preach to you. And he did. You look at the next, next chapter. P Peter preaches. And it was the Spirit of God that gave Peter the words of this sermon. Peter? Simon Peter? You mean the guy that every time he opened his mouth, he put his foot in it? That guy? You mean the fisherman? I've been around fishermen. Fishermen don't tell the truth. I did have one guy that always did. He was, it was a friend of mine. He was, um, he was a fishing friend of mine. It was really cool because he had one arm. Um, he could cast and he could reel with one arm. He'd catch a fish. It was really cool. Every fish he caught was this long. <laughs> Peter was a fisherman. And these people experienced the power of the Holy Spirit through Peter's teaching, through his preaching. They experienced that, that promise of the power that Christ had given. And look at the results. Look down at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people were saved from Peter's preaching through the power of the Holy Ghost. They were baptized. They joined the church, 3,000. What would we do if we had 3,000 people baptized and saved at Gospel Baptist Church? 3,000 
in one day. These people saw firsthand, they heard firsthand, the preaching power of that first century church. Number four, God's power, His Holy Spirit power, is wonders and miracles. The Holy Spirit gave that first century church the power of faith, the power of even more, grace. Acts chapter 6, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Acts 6, 8. Wow. And what did it cost him? Look at chapter 7, verse 59. He gave another great, powerful message. And he was, he was, he, he, he preached two chapters worth, chick six and seven. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. God gave faith and he gave grace to the deacon Stephen. How can a man bear up under this? He can only do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit. Number five, God's power is directing. God's power is directing. The Holy Spirit gave that first century church the power to know where to go. The Holy Spirit specifically directed them. In Acts chapter 8, verse 5, another character in the first century church, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria, Samaria and preached Christ unto them. What a big deal. Samaria? We already told you. that Those are half-breeds. Those aren't even full Jewish people. They didn't believe the same things the Jews believed. They were mixed with, with the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit told Philip to go there and preach to them? He said, go. God, by his Spirit, led Philip to do something totally out of the ordinary. Took him in a certain direction. How did Philip know what to do? God told him. The Holy Spirit's power gave him direction to do it. And then look at verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. Now he's saying again. Saying, arise and go toward the south. Go this way, specifically, onto the way. Here's the road that goeth down from Jerusalem into Gaza, which is a desert. There's nothing out there. It's an empty road. And we know the result of this. He met the Ethiopian eunuch. One person. From where? Ethiopia? You mean the uttermost part of the earth? Because he followed the power of God's direction. And the Ethiopian eunuch, I don't know went back and shared the gospel because of the power of the Holy Ghost. Philip experienced the power of the first century church as God guided him. Number six, reaching. We find a very interesting story in the 10th chapter of Acts dealing with an Italian, not a Jew, not even a Samaritan, an Italian soldier named Cornelius. He was not a Jew. He was a Roman. Scripture tells us that about the ninth hour, he had a vision. Now, I used to, as Sunday school, I used to always think, okay, he laid down, went to sleep. But the ninth hour says it's in the middle of the afternoon. Three o'clock in the afternoon, he has a vision. And Acts chapter 10, verse 3, and he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid, and they said, and said, What is it, Lord? 
Yeah. I was. What? What do you want? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thy alms are come up for a memorial before God. God has noticed you. God has seen you. Verse 5, And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. Cornelius was to learn about the mighty work of the Holy Spirit of God. And there was someone involved other than Cornelius. And there was someone involved in this other than Peter. There was an invasion here of God's Holy Spirit in the lives of both of them through this vision and the one that Peter had. Peter saw God direct him in a powerful way that he as a Jew was going to preach the gospel to the Gentile Cornelius. And as a result, to us, the Gentiles, anybody here who's not a Jew, through the Holy Spirit, through the power. Even today, the Holy Spirit empowers his church just like the first century church, to reach the lost. So here's my question. Are you living day to day in such a way that you personally witness the power of God's Holy Spirit demonstrated in your life? Is that even possible today? 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And of a sound mind. Listen, most people I know are not living a powerful life. That, that includes the guy I saw in the mirror this morning. Instead, they're living with a spirit of fear. Timid. Frightened. Afraid to move forward. Afraid of attempting anything mighty for God. When the least thing goes wrong with their children, they worry, they fret. When the least thing goes wrong in their home, things begin to unravel. When that least thing begins to happen with us physically, something touches our bodies and gets their attention, they become nervous, they become upset, and we're all guilty of this. The spirit of fear in our lives is evidence that we are not living consciously in the power of God's spirit. I would dare say 95% of the Christians that I know associates God's spirit with God's power with something that happens here at the church, or something that happens in a tent every once in a while. Not associating it with our daily Christian lives. We're disconnected. Nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to that first century church. They were living daily under the Spirit's power. Again, we need to stop thinking about the Holy Ghost in some mystical way. We're talking about the power of God. The power of the first century church was giving their individual lives to God, obeying him, trusting him, abiding in him, allowing that Holy Spirit to use them on a daily basis. May we, as 21st century church believers, live under that same power daily. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us permanently the Holy Ghost. We thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. And we pray, Father, you help us to live under that power, not just here at church, but on a daily basis in our daily lives. In your name we pray, amen. Next week, we're going to talk about the authority of the first century church. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com. Or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. 
Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.